NXT, New York City. Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Follow me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Instagram, at Lisa Evers. And also on Facebook and Google+. You can post your comments on Twitter right now, at Lisa Evers. And also on my Instagram page about our very, very important issue, cops versus the community. Has the crisis reached a breaking point? That's what we're talking about in this episode of Street Soldiers. And we have an amazing panel to discuss all aspects of this issue that just continues to intensify here in New York City and also across the United States. Now, what we've seen just in the last week or so, the city and the nation said goodbye to police officer Randolph Holder. He was the fourth NYPD officer killed in the line of duty in the last 10 months. And this has been the worst run of police deaths in the NYPD in more than 25 years. Reverend Al Sharpton, often an outspoken critic of the NYPD. Well, we saw him lay a wreath at the memorial to Officer Holder with the mother of Eric Garner. And they both said, we are opposed to all violence, whether it's committed by the police or whether it's committed against the police. And many people in our communities took that as a sign that there is hope for healing, there's hope for progress, real progress, and an understanding on these issues. But uh, we'll see what our guests have to say about that. We also saw protests last weekend with Hollywood heavyweight Quentin Tarantino in Washington Square Park. Protests against police excessive force and this broken windows theory of policing we keep hearing about. Critics of the police department say it is, yes, it is alive and well in New York City. But the mayor continually says at press conferences along with the police commissioner, this is not the practice that we are engaging in right now. We're going to break that down for you. And if you've heard that phrase used, and want to understand what it is, our guests are going to break it down for us and explain what it really means and what it really symbolizes. We also saw community leaders and clergy hold their own rallies throughout the city at police precincts in support of police, letting them know we appreciate the job that you're doing. We appreciate the sacrifices that you're making. And there's a lot of people that are are saying the death of Officer Holder, the murder of Officer Holder, is really intensifying people's feelings. He was worked in uh, PSA 5, which is a public housing developments in East Harlem and I was up there a number of days and a lot of the people I was talking to they knew him personally he was he knew the community he was there to really clean up the community in terms of crime and drugs and then we also heard from uh, police commissioner Bratton and Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance this week about a, about gun traffickers there were there was gun trafficking going on allegedly right in the very neighborhood right on the very street East 102nd Street where Officer Holder was killed. So there's that sub-issue, which we'll discuss in an, at another time again, the whole issue of the illegal guns on our streets. But clearly there were a lot of problems there in that neighborhood. And many of the people I talked to in the community were saying that they really appreciated what this officer did. They were very heartbroken um, that he that he was murdered. And our, our thoughts and condolences go out to him and his family and all of his colleagues and, and also the city that lost the, the type of cop that many people feel like that's who we want to we want to come when we call 911 that's the feeling a lot of people had about him so our topic the crisis between cops and the community are we moving towards a crisis point a breaking point or is this more like a turning point has the tragedy of this murder police officer become a turning point for us and with us in studio to discuss this Corey Pagase 
He's a former police commander. His official title was NYPD deputy inspector. And he's author of the book that comes out in May, Once a Cop, My Journey from Former Crack Dealer to the Highest Ranks of the NYPD. Corey, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Bob Ganji. He's a director of PROP. That stands for Police Reform Organizing Project. And Bob, thank you so much for being with us. Good to be here. We appreciate it. Also joining us, A.T. Mitchell. He's the founder and executive director of the community organization Man Up Incorporated. A.T., thanks for for being with us. Likewise. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it. Also joining us, um, Clark Pena. Or do you say Pena? Do you see Pena. This? Tilde over the end. You say the Spanish way, That's right. right. Peña. Peña. Okay. Okay. Está bien. Gracias. Um, Clark works with Tony Herbert. He is an East Harlem community advocate with Tony Herbert's group, Advocates Without Borders. And he organized, helped to organize these pro-police rallies throughout the city. And, of course, we'll take your comments, too, on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, on my Instagram page, at Lisa Evers. And, Clark, I'm going to start with you on this. What was the idea behind the rallies? Well, uh, Tony reached out to me um, because of the murder of a police officer Holder. Uh, you know, he knows that I was very active from beginning to end of the incident itself. And he says, Clark, uh, there's so much anti-police uh, protests going on, especially the one led by uh, Mr. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. And he says, let's put something together where we can all unite our different boroughs uh, outside of the precinct with the police officers. They would join uh, community leaders, activists, clergy outside of their precincts, and I said, "Tony, that's a lot of work." And he, but how did it go? It went excellent. Seventy percent of the uh, police precincts participated. Uh, Chief Madry from Brooklyn uh, was very helpful and instrumental in reaching out to other boroughs uh, to make sure that uh, it happened. Uh, we didn't expect s- such a large turnout, but we were happy. Uh, that it was extremely successful. All right, Corey Pagesa, former police commander with the NYPD. When an officer is killed, as we just saw with, with Officer Holder and the three previous officers since last last year, what does that do to the NYPD? What does that do to the people that are out there on the streets every day? Well, um, first of all, let me just publicly give my condolences to the Holder family, to his father. And, and the rest of his extended family, to all the officers in the NYPD. You know, the past 23 years, I don't, I can't even remember how many of these funerals that I've been to. It's a very solemn time, but the um, the shining light in this whole thing is police officers, they're going to go out there f- after that funeral. They're going to go out there. They're going to answer those radio calls. They're still going to go to those robberies, those burglaries. It's something inside of a police officer where they can just bottle up those feelings those emotions and get back out there. I don't even know how I dealt with it for twenty something years. Um, you know, I just. Because you think, oh, this could happen to me, or this could be me. Well, you know, that's kind of dangerous. I always tell cops that you can't put on your uniform and thinking today's the day I might not come back. I always looked at it like, listen, I believe in God. I'm gonna die as a cop or cross the street, get hit by a car. That's how I made it for twenty one years, and uh, was always on point and vigilant. But cops are hurting right now, especially we lost four cops in the last in a very 11 short months. Of, in right. a very short period of time. Three different incidents. You know, one of the incidents was a double homicide. But um, it's a trying time for the NYPD. A.T. Mitchell, what's the word in the streets? How Are people feeling differently after the murder of Officer Holder than they did over, over the others? Well, from what I gathered from my, you know, relationships that I have throughout the city, um, you know, this is an unfortunate situation that has taken place at a very troubling time, as mentioned. Um, but as the community may think or feel is that it's it's 
was something that would was was bound to happen. I mean, unfortunately, the relationship between the police and the community right now is still at a very huge divide. Um, and, you know, as some may think as anti-police rallies from which I participate in a number of them, they're not anti-police rallies. These People are anti-civil rights rallies they're and anti-police human rights. Violence rallies. These are anti-police brutality rallies. You know, the community is not anti-police. We're anti-police misconduct. And so that's what people seem to miss out or leave out when they see the community respond in the way that they do after Eric Gardner and so many others. And so we're not there to say that we are anti-police or that we are sad to hear that or happy to hear that a police officer uh, has been taken. Um, but we are saying that there is a serious problem between police and community and that we need to resolve said relationship. Bob Ganji with Prop, what do you think about this? Was it inevitable that something like this would happen? I mean, that the, the idea that people feel they can just fi open fire on a police officer like that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's inevitable. I mean, we know police officers, whether this... Uh, this period, the the number four is a little bit higher than it's been in past periods, um, is almost irrelevant. We know from time to time this kind of incident is going to happen, and it's a terrible thing. Uh, and people who are in the police reform movement who are very critical of police practices uh, share what other people have said in the sense of extending sympathy and condolences to the family to the community where apparently Officer Holder served very well and to other NYPD officers who clearly have to be, uh, you know, deeply shaken and saddened by what happened to this officer. And But I have to reinforce what was just said. Day to day in New York City, NYPD engages in, you mentioned broken windows, quota-driven broken windows practices that target and harass low-income people of color, often for for engaging in the kind of low-level infractions that have been virtually decriminalized in the white community. Most police officers do not do the kind of work that apparently Officer Holder was doing, intervening in a robbery. Most police officers are ticketing and arresting people for things as frivolous as putting your foot up on a subway seat at 2.30 in the morning. Um, uh, police officers have arrested people, and it's almost always people of color, African-American, Latino people, for jaywalking, for littering, for carrying an open alcohol container in the street, not for being disruptive and drinking excessively, but just carrying an open alcohol container. And so the beef that the community has with the police officers, in my view, almost has nothing to do with the death, the tragic death of this officer. Okay, but in terms of the ongoing tensions, you're talking about these what's ha what's happening right now on on the streets. The police department officially, the mayor officially, when we ask them at press conferences, what about broken windows policing? They say that th that is not really what it's all about. The the you and I may be hearing different press conferences because we hear De Blasio and Bratton saying is we embrace broken windows policing. What they deny exists is a quota system. Right, right. exactly. And Thank you deny, for clarifying okay. that. Okay, and the, all the evidence that we see is that there is, in fact, pressure on individual police officers to what they call make their numbers, give out a certain number of tickets, make a certain number of arrests in a given period of time in order to get a good job evaluation, in order to show that they are, quote-unquote, productive or active. And our view is, in part because of that pressure on cops, some cops engage in bogus arrests, or some cops will tag, 
target and harass low-income people of color because that's the way they prove, quote-unquote, that they're doing a good that job. Cracking. Now, Corey, what about that? What do you think about it? And everybody, well, please feel free to jump in. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that. So now, listen, um, for being a commander of two of the most violent precincts in the city of New York and going through the ranks, so let me just publicly say, because the police department don't want to embrace this, they do have a quota system. I never even had a problem with the, the quota system because you have to break it down in layman's terms. If the guy at McDonald's is working at hamburgers, he can't just make two hamburgers and keep his job. You understand what I'm saying? So you have to have performance measures for police officers. So when I was a cop, I had to write 25 parking summonses, 10 moving summons. That's like driving taillights and stuff. And like two ECB summons or C summons, open containers. Mm -hmm. That's not a problem. That's the performance measure. This is the problem with the police department. If you don't, so sometimes in the month, I didn't make it because you can't. I didn't see all of that. I couldn't make it. And now if they discipline you, that's what a problem. Cause, so we have to be clear. The public needs to understand and know, yes, there is a quota system. Every job have job performances. The problem is if you don't meet them, you're a cop 20 days a month. You're going out and let's say Brownsville. I like to use Brownsville because, you know, it's a lot of stuff going on in Brownsville. Right. If you can't find... 20 people to write a legitimate summons. These are legitimate summonses, too. You shouldn't be a cop. But some days I might, some months I might come in with 15 summonses and say, Sarge, that's all I got. Oh, that's all you got this month? That's all you got? Okay, well, you're not going to get a value. That's, and that's where the problem lies. You, so we understand there's a job performance. It's a quota, well, it's whatever a product- you want to call it. And they, and they call it a, a productivity measure. But, but you, what about, what to about- that extent, and that pressure that they are obviously under, we feel from a community perspective on the day to day, you know, when we are approached or for no reason at all, we're stopped. We uh, ask questions unnecessarily. We are talked to disrespectfully. And I'm not saying all police officers mm-hmm. when I speak. I'm talking about those that may be under so much pressure that they have to go into our communities and apply that same pressure upon the people who are mostly innocent. And, and it's not hard for a good cop to know in a community who are the good and bad people mm-hmm. if they're on their job. And if they regularly know the community. But what about Mm -hmm. the attitude towards the police as well? Because you look at it from, you know, when we hear from police officers that are still at, you know, that are actively on on the job right now, they'll say nobody, there's no respect for the badge. There's no respect for the uniform. And when you're dealing, especially with a younger, you know, a a younger population, whether it's teenagers, people in their 20s, there's almost an open hostility right from the gate towards the police officers. They don't, if police officers give a command, it's not followed. If, if police officers give an order, it's not paid attention to. And then we get into these resisting arrest situations that, that can culminate in but, very bad. But Lisa, bad. It's, not, it's not what they do, it's how they do it. I mean, our neighborhoods, I've observed so many stops in my, the work that I do, just working in the community. I see community residents and, and people, they, um, that adhe- they adhere to what officers have asked them to do. But when, there is a when you're met with disrespect and and, I, and I, I'm not taking nothing away. Officers responding to an emergency may come into a situation that is hostile, but they have to remember they're the professional on that in that situation. You don't meet hostility with hostility, you know, because that's only a, a formula for 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 disaster. So when we out in the community have no problem, I think most of the engagements with the police officers go well. But when you have had this amount of pressure placed on a community uh, for decades, it 
boils up inside of any individual. And then what happens is it now becomes a bitter taste in your mouth. So whereas in the past, it used to be a good thing when people mm-hmm. saw a police officer. Today, the, now, the norm is it's a bad. It's, I mean, little children, it could, it could be problem. you know, it have could be issue problem. with police. And by, and by what about that in, in terms of the historical perspective going back to, do you believe a lot of this is race-based as well? It, I mean, it's clearly race-based, but it's also institutional. Uh, one of the mantras we have at PROP is it's not the personnel, it's the policy. That does not deny that there are individual cops who use excessive force, who are racist or sadistic. But the policy of broken windows, quota-driven policing inevitably puts cops in, in bad situations where they're interacting negatively with low-income people of color. One of the things to remember about the quota system, uh, two, two very important things. The, the quota system- Is it a system, money maker? People say on the streets of yeah, like, I, it I makes think money the money, for the city. It, it brings in some money to the city, but it's relatively insignificant. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the police department's budget is over $4 billion. Right. The city's budget is almost $80 billion. So it might bring in even several hundred million dollars, yeah. summonses and, mm-hmm. and parking tickets, but yeah. in the scheme of things, it's, it's pretty insignificant in New York City. In Ferguson, apparently, it was a very important right. income driver. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, com- uh, the money so that was brought in probably. actually covered a lot of the expenses in the city there. Mm-hmm. So the, the, there are two things I want to say. One is that a cop will get credit for the ticket or the arrest, whether or not the ticket or the arrest holds up. So we hear stories from people, and fairly regularly, where a cop says, almost apologizes. One story we heard is a young man of color was given a ticket by a police officer for walking between subway cars of a stop train. And the cop said to him, I'm sorry. I mean, how many of us have done that to get, <laughs> right, another, right. You know, get a yeah. seat or be in less crowded exactly, car? Exactly. The cop said to him, I'm sorry about this, but it's the 26th of the month, and I have to make my number. The other thing is... Um, so even if that ticket gets thrown out, the cop gets credit for it. The other thing is, the, as far as we know, certainly we've never seen this, the police department doesn't give credit for constructive interactions. So, for example, if a police officer finds, say, a homeless, people, homeless person sleeping under a stairwell in a public housing project, a police officer will not get credit if he or she takes that person to a local community center where that person can get help. The police officer will only get credit if, if the police officer arrests that person or tickets that person. So if you need a quota system, and I understand you need some way to evaluate. To measure productivity. Right. They'll right. say, how do they make sure yeah, that they're well, not just hanging it, out? But again, Lisa, the problem with the system, like you're saying, and I, I want to make sure we're on the same page. My problem with the system is if you don't meet it, the pressure is right. upon you. Yes, right. sir. Where it should be, hey, okay, this month you didn't, you know, right. you what's didn't going, meet it, you know what's on. going on, why didn't you see it? Mm-hmm. Or the flip side is, wow, maybe things are not <laughs> right. happening but there, but out there, was there also now. This, but there's also this new, this new program part of the, uh, I forget what the name was that they that they call it, where the police officers, w- to deal with the uh, excessive force complaints and the civilian complaint review board complaints, they'll also be putting in things about the officers that are good, that they've done like that. But you, you think that should be systematized? It should be. I mean, there should be so a it's way of, of evaluating police officers, not only on the basis of punitive interactions. Also, the, and I'm not quite sure this works. I think works. the cops would like that, too. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I why believe would the, the cops would I mean, the, the, uh, the PBA, uh, which we think, particularly uh, uh, in the rhetoric that Pat 
Lynch uses is very toxic uh, and undermines the possibility for a reasonable public debate in the city. Mm -hmm. But the PBA opposes the quota system. Uh, so we think a lot of individual offices uh, are unhappy with the quota system. In no, fact, I think they are too because I think they feel it poisons the relationship well, right. with I mean, the most, community. Most cops. And it, I mean, do you want to go to work? Uh, would you want to go to work every day and put on the, you know, have the uniform be very visible and identifiable and not know whether or not that person looking at you is is looking at you with hatred or right. you know, don't, don't you want people to be happy to to see? Well, you? most most cops, trust me, and I'll tell you, most cops want to just come to work. And kind of just do their job. If they see something, they handle it. Mm -hmm. If not, fine. Most cops are not proactive. You only got a small segment in the ATU. You know about like the anti-crime, the snoop cops, you know, these plainclothes cops. Those are the ones that's really engaging in the community. The ones that's in those blue and white cars with uniforms on, they really just want to just like <laughs> get through their day. But then you have this quota. Clark, Clark what yeah, about that? Because you're a commander. What you, do you blame them? Do you no, blame I, well, them? I used and to be the environment we have today. Look, I have a Do great relationship. Them, uh, I have a, uh, if I may, sure. I have a great relationship with the commanders of the two five, uh, the PSA, mm -hmm. which uh, the which right. officer holder worked in, right? And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and the two three precinct. I go to all their community meetings, and there's so many empty seats at these community meetings. Yeah. Every precinct commander, and you know this, yeah, have these meetings once a month. If you want to become involved in a positive dialogue for change, come to these meetings. Yeah. Come to these meetings. And voice They're your open. concerns there voice and talk and, and, and talk. And They're there to listen. The commanders are there. And you brought up the the, um, the commanders, at least we talked yes, about sir. the quotas with the commanders and stuff. So like when I was commander of PSA 2 and the 6-7, I would go to CompStat and the chief of department runs CompStat. And we'd say, Corey, you don't have, you don't have enough UF-250s. And I would which say, which is a form for the stop, and stop frisk. question of frisk. And I would say, well, you know, he said, somebody got shot, and in the two hours after that, you only stopped three people. And I would say, well, chief, there's only three people out there. <laughs> like, what do you want us to do? Those are the only three people we could articulate to stop. Right. And especially in housing, in 18, you know, opinion, you know about housing, people don't understand. People that don't live in housing is not coming to housing. You're right. not just going to say, hey, let's go to, I'm going to go to Van Dyke. It's not going to happen. Right. Or let's go to St. Nicholas. It's not happening. So when you do stop questioning frisk and housing, just stopping these young black boys and girls but three or four said, or five, six, they, seven times. The city says they pulled way back on that. They have pulled back on stop and frisk significantly. But the, again, quota driven broken windows is alive and well. We at prop we go into in the, terms of the number of tickets. In terms of the, num the number of tickets. And, and Bob, can I, can I just ask ask you real quick so we all know what we're sure. talking about here too? And when somebody gets a ticket, they either have to pay that, which is a fine mm -hmm. of what over a hundred dollars. It can be. It varies. It can 25 be twenty five to one hundred seventy. They have to pay the fine, right. or if they if they can't pay the fine or they want to fight it, they have to actually take time out and go to court. Well, you have to when, if you get a ticket, a summons, you have to go to court, and if you don't go to court, the the court issues a warrant for your arrest. There are 1.2 million right. warrants right. outstanding in outstanding. New York City, the vast majority for people of color, and the mass majority not involving people like the shooter in, in this case, but uh, you know, riding a bike on the sidewalk, walking between a subway car, um, these really minor infractions. Again, it's very important to, I said this before, these infractions have been decriminalized in white communities. I live on the west side of Manhattan, Obviously, and I'm an 
old white man, there's no police presence in that community stopping people from jaywalking or littering riding their or <laughs> riding their bike on the sidewalk. I see people riding the bike on the side. I almost want to stop and say, hey, I'm going to give you a ticket. <laughs> uh, so it's very, very different. And, and people of color know this. Yes, when, they, when they get a ticket and they show up at the summits court, if they get arrested and they, they're detained in a holding cell, all they see is nine out of ten of the other people are people of color. So they have a very, very strong notion and it's absolutely accurate notion that we are discriminated against by the NYPD and very few if any mainstream politicians speak out against it so of course the anger the distrust has developed and this has been going on for decades it's not new the police the policing tactics that has been described is clear in neighborhoods of color the way that they police in, in white neighborhoods is different than the way that they police in black and brown and Latino communities. And so that in itself, it I creates a situation. There, AT, in, in the point, like the in the J. Cole song, uh, came fast like the like 911 in a white neighborhood. Right. One of the lines <laughs> in one of the songs that's out there right now. But anyway, we're talking about cops versus the community. Has a crisis reached a breaking point or are we at a turning point? And I'm going to ask all our guests when we come back what their solutions are. What, what are actual things that can be done to improve relations between the police and the community. We all need each other. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. And let's see if we can move this discussion a little bit forward. I'm Lisa Evers, your host, at Lisa Evers on Twitter and the Gram, Google Plus, and Facebook. And we'll be back right after this. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts. And this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You did. Welcome back to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about cops and the community cops versus the community has the crisis reached a breaking point or are we at an important turning point and our guests for this discussion Corey Pagase he is a former police commander official title was NYPD deputy inspector he's the author of the book once a cop my journey from former crack dealer to the highest ranks of the NYPD Bob Ganji is with us he's the director of the police reform organizing project A.T. Mitchell is with us founder and executive director of Man Up Inc and Clark Pena he's the East Harlem community advocate with Tony Herbert's group Advocates Without Borders and he was one of the organizers of the pro-police rallies that took place at uh, many many precincts the majority of the precincts throughout the city let's talk in terms of actual solutions Clark you're also a businessman in East Harlem there yeah. very involved with the community issues too especially in our Latino communities what can police do to make things better not everybody has time to go sit at a, a precinct community council meeting and talk a lot of people don't know about it but what can the average person do well I think that um, uh, what we did uh, just this past uh, week uh, with Tony Herbert and we united folks outside of local precincts I, I don't think that should be a one-time affair I think we should continue to uh, push forward and have a, uh, a dialogue with our local law enforcement officers. Look, uh, all my experiences, and I'm 48 plus years old, have been positive, and I'm a lifelong resident of East Harlem. Um, you know, with my local precincts continue to work with them, I do make the meetings, and um, you know, uh, make these meetings. These meetings are, are very important. Um, try to find the time. Because it's very important to have a dialogue. We have to understand. And can you have other. an impact like that? I mean, absolutely. actually talking with them? Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, listen, I sit down with these commanders uh, as, as many times as I can. I have their cell numbers because they understand the, the dialogue and they understand that, look, I'm not a cop. I'm a community activist. And they know I'm out there and I'm trying to keep 
the peace between uh, uh, the community and cops. And they understand the importance. So I call them all the time. They call me, Clark, how can we do this? How can we do that? And, you know, that dialogue is very important. You know, um, unlike a lot of other people, I think Pat Lynch said something that I will, you know, always remember. He says, support us today, but support us always. Well, we answered that call. And we're going to continue to answer that call. All right, Corey Pagase, for, for police officers, some cops said, why don't they say thank you for your service when we do a good job like they do to members of the armed forces? What do you think about that? It's funny you say that. I say that to cops all the time. It's, I mean, it's to each his own, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, my belief is the only way we're going to bridge this gap between the community and police around the country is for police departments to be more transparent and the number one thing they need to do is start disciplining rogue police officers. It's just like what happened in South Carolina every day with the little girl. And then inevitably, all the time, you look at the cop's record. There were he, signs. He beat somebody up. He sues him. So it's just like in New York City. Eric Garner, the cop murdered him. You know, the Emmy said it was a homicide. The cop is on death duty. The cop. Two months ago, tackled James Blake. The cop is on death duty. The public is looking, saying, and they're getting what? paid. And, right. and when they're death duty, they have no gun and no badge, right. but they but are getting, getting the regular the salary. Right. And I guarantee you, their boss is giving them overtime. So the public is looking, saying, what does a cop have to do in New York City to get in trouble? And I'm not advocating fire the guy. At least suspend the guy thirty days no pay. Without because pay. when you got to pay your mortgage at the end of the month. And it reverberates through the entire department. They said, whoa, Branton's not playing. He suspended that guy for tackling James Blake. I need to pull back on what I'm doing. And that's the only way. We can have the community council meetings. You got to remember, the only people who come to those meetings is the good people. But we need to touch the people ATs out there on the corners with. We need to touch those people. And the people on the street not going to understand. I'm out in the streets. I see those kids. They'll be like. Yo, you saw, yo, the police, that cop who did that, yo, he got fired. Or when, when Brian came in in 93, he walked those 30 cops out of the dirty 30 in handcuffs. That reverberated through the police department. I was on the People job got then. shook. Everybody was like, whoa. Bratton is not playing. But when you pacify and you just giving these guys a slap on the wrist, putting them on desk duties, it makes the job of cops more harder because people are looking and saying, yo, I, I'm, I am going to disrespect you. I'm going to do whatever I want because it don't matter. If you retaliate, you ain't going to get in trouble anyway. So you think there's a, do you think there's a climate now where it's we, we protect the officer at all costs? It's, in New York City? I don't want to go on record and say that, but I don't think that they're disciplining the cops like they should. Uh, and I got to be clear with the Eric Garner thing. He violated the department rule. No chokehold. It's in black and white. In the department he, rules. Right. So, it's it's since Anthony Baez, it was changed. Since Anthony Baez. They banned it. And the cop, to this day, 18, almost 18 months later, he's still on desk duty. He should have been suspended. Still getting paid. On the spot, just for the violation. Forget about murdering a guy, which the ME say, and I want to be clear, the ME said it was a homicide. Which was highly unusual right. for a medical examiner to say exactly. that. Exactly. But just for the violation, and the grand jury did not indict him. We have to mention that, even though people were very I mean, upset about that. You know, I mean, with all the turmoil going on around the country in the city, I, Eric Garner, I'm the commissioner. I'm suspending that guy on the spot just for the chokehold, and I'm gonna do the press conference and say, "Well, we decided we're suspending him. He violated this department rule that's been on the books for 20 years." Let but the justice system take its course, but days. we're not gonna right. right. He'll be back in 30 days. Why do you think of, that wasn't done? Listen, they've been pacifying these guys for politics. a long time. Wait, politics? Fear, fear of the union. Uh, the, uh, I want to reinforce Corey's point. Think of what particularly how black people view 
what you were just talking about. Pantaleo on video. This is the officer who, who put the chokehold on Eric the chokehold. On video, applies the chokehold, which violates the department's own guidelines. It results in the death of Eric Garner. I mean, we, no one, I don't think, is saying that Pantaleo meant to kill him, but right. certainly he behaved Never. in a reckless, excessive way that resulted in his death. He is still being paid. Uh, the officer who, uh, where I think a lot of people have seen the video, who uh, uh, treated so, uh, you know, almost brutally the high school student, the girl, the mm -hmm. black right. girl, he's Spring been Valley on unpaid leave. Yeah. And this is in South Carolina. <laughs> yes. The police department put him on unpaid leave. Right. That has not happened to Panaleo. Yeah. It's not happened, as, as again, as Corey mentioned, to the cop, again, on video, who jumped and bum-rushed uh, James Blake, the black former tennis player. I, I agree. It would be a significant message. And I, I don't think they should be suspended. Panaleo should have been fired immediately. If he was working for any other kind of organization. Any other kind of job. Right. Somebody dies on your watch. <laughs> yeah, he would have been fired. Right. right. And all this, he's on desk duty. Right. And I guarantee you, if you drill it down, I was in the NYPD for years. He's on desk duty, and I guarantee you he's making overtime. The, the other changes. I guarantee you. We would uh, totally agree with Corey's point about those kind of changes. Swift discipline that sends a message to all the other cops and send a message to the community that, to, you know, to use the phrase of the moment, black lives matter. That's right. uh, and the other things we would propose is either abolishing or amending the quota system so you're rewarding constructive interactions and not only punitive interactions, uh, abandoning broken windows policing. Uh, you guys might remember at the end of December and early January, uh, the NYPD offices went on a three-week work slowdown. Arrests dropped right. by 66%. Summonses dropped by 90%. Uh, crime. The last 30 days, 15%. Last 28 days, 15%. Arrests are down for the year. They're down 15%. And just in the last week, they're down 11.6%. And the crime rate continues to go down in the city. And there was this quote from a young black man that was put, published in an article in a magazine that said, uh, basically, he's expressing relief and not being harassed on a regular basis. And he said, oh, so this is what it feels like to be a white person living in New York City. Mm -hmm. And there, that racial divide is just that stark. When I speak to my friends, uh, most of whom are like me, older, white, liberals, uh, voted for Obama, voted for de Blasio. They are very positive about the police and their experience with the police. Almost every person of color I speak to, some exceptions, have negative views of the police. And do they have personal experiences, experience, personal and negative personal experience. experiences or their family members have. At PROP, we work with a lot of young people who volunteer and interns, and some of them are African-American or Latino people, and their distrust and sometimes antagonism toward the police. And these are good young people. These are college students. These are... But they're stressed they're, out. That's a stress oh, when you're right. trying to go to class and you don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. And when their, their, their family members have stories, particularly the male family members, about how they were stopped unnecessarily, uh, given a ticket for a broken taillight, uh, and treated rudely by the cops, that kind of thing. So the c police community relations are not going to change until police practices change. Exactly. And then to that extent, I mean, the bottom line from us on the community end is that we want justice. I mean, you cannot expect for any 
relationship to better itself until justice is is been given. We have watched too many times in and times out. We have watched, and for example, when the um the alleged persons involved in Officer Holder's shooting, that young man was arrested right on the spot and has been detained every day since. And and you know we want to see the same type of response to police violence on on innocent you know people who are not armed, and we we want to see more of you know the equal protection under the law you know it what's good for the goose should be good for the goose should be good for the gander so if if it's if it's two different scales and it's unbalanced then we are not willful as a community to come to the police community council meetings because we don't see that's not feeling welcome we don't feel welcome we don't see that that the system works for us we don't believe in it and that's because we are not given justice and that's why you hear the cries of community asking for justice this is what i think that we all should want to admit and when and we see brave moves made by the Brooklyn District Attorney Ken Thompson mm-hmm. in indicting an officer who apparently did something obviously wrong with an unarmed person in a stairwell in, in East New York. That's the type of justice that we're looking for. Now we're we waiting to see him be convicted for said crime. And until we get to that day when there's a respect of the community, we need officers that are going to patrol our neighborhoods who respect the residents that live there. And if you don't come from the neighborhood, it's hard for you to understand the culture of that community. Everyone who walks around as black and brown. But if you're there regularly, if you're there with more experienced officers. It's a little bit more than just placing officers on a corner regularly. Okay, because it's about interaction. It's about having a familiarity with that people, with that culture. You can't take an officer, uh, African-American officer, and put him in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, around a bunch of, you know, uh, Hasidic Jews and assume that he's going to understand exactly what it's like to live as a Jewish person. Right, but as a professional, isn't that part of the training? In New York City, we're dealing with so many cultures. I don't think that they receive enough in the training. I don't think the training really covers it all. So even if you're standing in the corner, you have to make your numbers. And and one police officer I spoke to said to me the quota is different in different communities. Absolutely, we talked about that because he was posted in the bank where I made a well, deposit. Well, yeah, I mean, Corey, what about that? What about that? Well, I don't know if the quota is different. Well, uh, I'll give you this. But people to put was, it to bed in Brownsville, you got an open container. You're gonna get a summons. Mm-hmm. You go to Bryant Park, they got a jazz festival. All the white people <laughs> bring bottles of wine. Is it alcohol? Yes, is it, it is. in a public space? Yes, it is. Are they writing summonses? This no, is not going to happen. So you know. But what you, do you so what do you say to people who would the other side, which opposing side that's not here in the room, and we want to welcome anybody that does have opinions. Hit up my executive producer Tone Capone, Tone at LisaEvers.com. You okay over there? All right, we don't want to lose our engineer, Mike Medium here. Uh, tone at LisaEvers.com. And just send him your comments. We'll read them on the air if you don't want to come on, come in studio and be on the air directly. But they will say, the critics, right. people with an opposing view, not my view, but the opposing view, will say that this is, that in communities of color, these are high, there are higher crime statistics. There are a larger number of crimes being committed. There's a, a much denser population. And this is why the numbers are higher there. Well, I will argue, what do you say to that? I would argue it's more crime. It's probably more violent crime. Brownsville, yes. you probably got more violent crime. But you got all kind of credit card fraud up in the Upper East Side, probably outweighing, Absolutely. outweighing the violence. So when we talk about crime. Probably more marijuana possession, <laughs> too. More marijuana possessions also. So, um, and that's where the that's where the joblessness is. That's where the problem is. I want to be clear, and I think the whole panel will agree that a tremendous amount of officers around the country are going out 
putting their life on the line every single day. They're doing a, f- a fabulous job. And we like how about like the- how about those cops and, and most of them were police officers of color yeah. of the firearms investigation unit that took that yeah, seized seventy four yeah. guns 74 doing guns. these undercover buys mm-hmm. where they're going and posing mm-hmm. as gun buyers. That's right. And uh, I saw those guns gone. at police headquarters on the table. Let me tell you, when you see the AK forty seven close oh, yeah. up, when you see that AR fifteen close up, we remember up, Officer Andrews and Nimron that who was murdered, right. and Staten they was in Staten, Staten Island. Island. They was on in the on the what in we the firearms the gun squad. The gun right. squad. They was on the gun squad. And to take those off, so we salute we salute those officers, right. and we salute yes. all the many officers because we do have a lot of police officers that listen to this show as well. Mm-hmm. If you're out there, you know respecting the community doing your job and do you know taking it seriously and protecting people i don't think there's anyone in this room that doesn't support you and hope for the best for you it's not about anti-police but we need to be able to have this discussion talking about bad police anti-bad police police, anti-bad whatever on the open alcohol container example for example last year there were 116,000 open alcohol container summonses given out vast majority to people of color and what so no think, raids in central park for right, the uh, classical music park okay or Bryant park. and <laughs> right. what what we say and i think a lot of people say if the person carrying the open alcohol container is being disruptive or being threatening or 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 committing a real offense then the police should intervene and should arrest or right. take that person but if the person is drinking a beer on a stoop or hanging out in the corner with friends and having a beer or not even even you don't even have to be drinking it just holding it that shouldn't be considered an offense or an infraction that the police intervene on and all too often that's what happens they see the open alcohol container and they move right in and they ticket or arrest somebody and it's largely because of the quota system they have to make those numbers but you have to understand we brought Bratton back Bratton is the architect of the broken windows Bratton is the architect stop of question. stop question and frisk and I, you know, when we, when I was a cop, we was a reactive department. Somebody got shot, we showed up. Now we're proactive. Like somebody gets murdered on one two fifth in Saint Nick, we're running his, we get his cell phone, we're trying to see who he knows, what's the connection, what's this. We wasn't doing that twenty years ago. So for twenty years, twenty two years, we've been beating people in the head, open alcohol, riding bike on the side. People knew after about six years, I can't drink outside, I can't ride my bike on the sidewalk. But now here we're like twenty something years. So now the police. Department Department don't want to admit it. It's almost you're harassing people. Nobody, everybody. But don't knows the officers? They can't do don't this. They, Corey? Don't the officers? Police officers have the jurisdiction. Like they see somebody. They have discretion. With it, they see somebody with right. an open container. Just say, hey, if you don't mind, you know, right. lo- you don't lo- lose that. Under the quota you have you the discretion if you, arrest if you write a ticket. Or write a ticket. So if you say to somebody, or, or hey, turn off that joint, turn yeah, off, right. the, you know. Lose. Yeah, but so when Even do we get subway, credit? If you say, hey, take your foot off the subway seat. You're not going to get credit. You're not going to get credit for it. But when do the police officers and the police commanders get credit and because the crime is down right. in their precinct. If the, cause my well, that's, philosophy the, that's the other big thing they say. Been, guys, I'll go to Comstat and the Esposito could kill me. As long as our crime is down, I'll stand up there and say, hey, chief. Clark, what are, crime Clark, is Clark down. Let, me, let me ask you, because you're in East Harlem. Absolutely. And you're out there in the community, because also with the business community in, in, in East Harlem. The, the police, the, the crime statistics show that that crime overall is way 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 down from what it was in the 90s do you believe that and do you think the the police are to be credited for that police uh, you know you don't even have to wait for an email to uh to state the other side i am pro police i am pro good police i am pro two five two three psa five two eight and all of them (laughs) 
I want to be clear that the work that they do in our communities uh, are very, is very important. Number one. Number two, I believe that, and, and the commander probably can speak on this, is uh, the quality of life interaction, of the quality of life crimes, have led to removal of guns from our streets. Oh, yeah. You know, you know there has to be some interaction. Uh, you know, are we going to handcuff the police officers? And not have them make any stops. No, but but what, gotta, like somebody, think, somebody with an open beer is, the, is right. got an AK. See, but we, this we, is we, the problem. You right. said, but, your philosophy I, is good, but this is the problem. When I was a cop, we stopped 110,000 people and stopped questioning frisk. Listen to we had about a 15 percent decrease in crime. Five years ago, they stopped 750,000 people. Only a two percent decrease in crime. So, to your point, if I stopped 100 people, am I going to get a gun? Probably. But I'm going to have 99 people that you think it's didn't gonna, do you think they're anything. Gonna bring it back? People are talking about that. To my point I think, about I think the Holder divide. would be alive today. Well, I, Holder would be alive today. I, I, again, I think, everybody. I think that the Holder situation is a, is, is, a, is an isolated incident. It's a separate incident as it relates to what we're talking about, bridging a gap between community and police. Mm-hmm. When you have those type of policies in place, that only d- further divides the relationship between police and community. And it, what you don't want to admit, and what we don't want to seem to admit, that where those so-called high crime areas are, that is also where the so-called high unemployment rates are. That's where the so-called high uh, homelessness rates are. And true. that's where poverty exists. And so if we want to really reduce crime, we have to have a war against poverty, and we have to begin to devote our resources and our monies towards those neighborhoods to make sure that we build on it. Anybody that's doing well have no time to commit crime. Right. And eight, you know, when I had PSA 2, that's A.T. Mitchell's place, he was a, one of my community activists. A.T. would call me one, two, three, four in the morning. Commander Pegues, your cops are out here. You know, they're doing this, that, and I appreciated that. He would come to my office. Me and him had, we had epic fights. I that's think right. it was a period of four months we didn't speak. We cursed <laughs> each other out for four months. We had this big fight in unity. But there was dialogue. House. But uh, there, was there, dialogue. Was, there was a two-way dialogue. Let, let, me, let me come back to the broken windows thing because I'm, I'm a little confused about that. I know the theory is, is basically you get the small crimes and then it basically and affects the big crimes. They're, or small violations. Right. But, the, but then the whole change with the marijuana law, that was something that went against the whole broken windows theory, right? The de- the the decriminal you know allowing a larger the, amount of, ma- the, of marijuana the, on people. I know that was announced uh, both by De Blasio and Bratton and also by Ken Thompson, who's the Brooklyn DA. Mm-hmm. We go into the courts on a regular basis. People are still being ticketed and arrested for marijuana possession. I just I want to mention that because yeah. a lot of people are. Well, I'm not the only one confused about. You're grams. seeing a lot of arrests oh, for yeah, that. Absolutely, and it's again always people of color, uh, and the the it's it's. We do not, nobody objects to police officers intervening when serious crimes are being committed. That's what we want. Right, exactly. But when police officers are arresting and ticketing people for low-level infractions, and sometimes because of the quota system, engaging in bogus arrests and giving out phony tickets when the person hasn't done anything wrong, that that violates the trust that should exist between the community and police and we think it actually increases the likelihood that there's going to be more crime because you're right some police many people in the community don't respect the police they don't trust the police they're not going to cooperate with the police because of these ongoing practices that in one form or fashion have been going on for decades and now are being carried out under the rubric of broken windows so what do you think the the biggest change that they can make is is stop with these quotas broken windows policing and either abolish quotas or 
include in quotas, the way to evaluate people include constructive interactions, that you're rewarding police officers who say, instead of arresting somebody for having their foot up on the subway seat, say, hey, Jack, why don't you put your foot down? They, cops should be rewarded for that because they achieve the purpose. Another thing on fair beating, the, the police make between twenty five and 30,000 arrests for fair beating in New York City every year. Mm-hmm. And what we hear over and over and over again is they l- lurk in some way that they're not seen and they wait for somebody to jump a turnstile and right. they arrest them. Mm-hmm. A much more effective way to stop fair beating is just put a police officer right by the turnstile, visible. Very few people are going to jump a turnstile if they see a cop there. But our view is the NYPD is not interested in stopping the practice. It's interested in, in building up its database, being uh, its DNA information. You know, I was people. a lieutenant in transit. And I never even thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. Because you were just thinking about <laughs> the tickets. And I was a lieutenant in, in plain clothes, and we would stand by. Yeah, but it's what they do on the, the highway person. too. What they do on the roads yeah. too is like find those little spots right. and hide on the spot. Right. Now you know yeah. anybody driving, you know, <laughs> not any, but some people yeah. driving. You see the police car. You, if you're it's going a little bit over, you're going to slow down yeah, automatically. No, it's just part. Right. But Lisa, you know, again, I think one of the things that we we want to do to build on our relationship. I mean, when Corey spoke about him and I and our relationship when he worked out in our backyard in our community, it was, it was easier for us to communicate with a Corey Begates. Because he, he looked like us. He sounded like us. He understood us. And we was able to resolve a lot more incidences without happening with those things leading to arrest. And that's, a, so that's an important that thing. So I think it's important that the NYPD look to make sure that they assign officers who are more familiar with those neighborhoods from which they police, which makes it easier for them to build a trusting relationship with those communities so that they will have a better And AT, I'm going to have to cut you off right there because yes. unfortunately we're out of time. But the Thank diversity you. and also very much. the NYPD will say that they are more diverse now than ever before in terms in terms of their ranks so that's yeah, gonna have to I, want, I, I, I can't that. I can't uh, because next, we're out of time show, next, next, next time next we'll show. talk about that but I want to thank Corey Pegues a uh, former police commander with the NYPD author of his book coming out in May once a cop my journey from crack dealer to the highest ranks of the NYPD Bob Ganji executive uh, director of prop that's the police reform organizing project and bob give out your website real quick for people it's the police reform organizing project.org and people could also call me if they're interested in learning more about our work 917-327-7648 thank you all right bob thank you so much for being with us and thank you for always uh, giving us the backup here on street soldiers and when you were with the correctional okay. association as well on sure. the uh, on the prison issues you were way ahead of that yes, in terms right. of uh well thank you and uh, what happened always with pleased that. to be here Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us. A.T. Mitchell, founder and executive director of Man Up. We'll see you on the streets in Brooklyn, I'm sure, some days Mm -hmm. soon. Clark Pena, East Harlem. See you on the streets of East Harlem soon. Looking forward to it. Um, With uh, Tony Herbert's group, Advocates Without Borders. He's the East Harlem rep. I want to thank you so much. And I want to give a special thank you to our general manager, Deanne Levingston, our program director, P.O. Farrell, music director, T.T. Torres, our one and only angel inside Emmis, New York, the uh, one and only Pat Robinson. Thank you for all your support. And also uh, my whole team. Street Soldiers, Team Lisa here, our executive producer, Tone Capone, associate producer, Rose D, assistant producer, Mia Bell, and uh, the one and only DJ Michael Medium here on the board op and digital support. Special assistance from uh, Marcus is in here giving us a little hand here with things. And also big, big, a big shout out to Mana Cube for helping us furnish the studio here uh, while we do the show. <laughs> hey, you, you know, it takes everybody doing everything, and that's how we do it, okay? At least I didn't have to carry the chair today. I'm happy about that. So I want to say thank you to everyone. Please follow me on Twitter, 
at Lisa Evers, Instagram, Google+, Facebook. We post the links to the shows. Please repost those because people are asking about it. Thank you for supporting us at the new time here at 7 a.m. Make sure you check me out on Fox 5 News at 5, 6, and 10. During the week, remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Push for peace.